Today's date is February 3rd, 2019. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hit the Books Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Holcomb. And I'm Emery Saunders. And we are here to give you all the saucy deets on everything comics this week. For those of you unfamiliar with the show, this is your weekly comic book podcast where Emery and I, and perhaps a guest, go through the latest news, the new comic book releases coming to your local comic book shops. Please support your local comic book shops. And discuss a topic about the world of comics for your amusement. If that sounds like a good time, be sure to hit like and subscribe on our YouTube channel and rate well elsewhere. It really does help us out. You can always find us on YouTube, Stitcher, and iTunes, and be sure to check out our website, www.htbvids.com, where you can find links to all of these things and plenty of other content and lists. So, Emery, let's get it kicking. Oh, yeah. What have you been reading? (laughs) Well, uh, to uh, kick us off, if you will... um... I have actually been going back and looking at some comics that I haven't got the chance to read. Uh, One of the uh, storylines that I just sat down and got myself through was Spirits of Vengeance. (gasps) Oh, boy. (laughs) Now, mind you... If you're looking at the cover of this, you'll think that, like, oh, it's Ghost Rider and Blade and a couple other characters I might not be familiar with. Uh, let me tell you right now, these other two characters are the ones that probably deserve this story more than the other two. Uh, that being said, I do like just about any story that you can have where... Blade shows up. Blade? Yeah, Blade. Real tall. <laughs> uh, yes, Blade returns. And As I, he I, always should. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be honest, he doesn't really do much in the story. Aww. Which is a shame. he seems to be a key character on the cover there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like, he's really huge on the cover. But in the story, he really doesn't do much. He, he's kind of the... Uh, <laughs> He's what you would call the uh, the golden goose, if you will. Mm. He looks really nice, but once you get it, uh, what do you do with it in the story? Not really much. Well, if he's getting you into a good book, oh yeah, can you really be upset? Uh, n- not at all. Uh, and it's a good book. Uh, but neither him nor Ghost Rider are really the uh, the focus here. The focus here is actually. Uh, the redhead at the at the top, Damon Hellstrom. Damon, son of the devil. <gasps> <laughs> and below that is uh, his sister Satana. Not to be confused with Zatana from uh, DC. From DC, it's Satana, the daughter of Satan. And, yeah, what unfolds is a very, very badass story (laughs) that uh, gets into some uh, biblical fun facts and tweaks it for the sake of, uh, you know, making a story. And I think it works. Now, we we recently, well, not recently, but uh, I'll say last episode spoilers if you haven't watched last episode yet. Why haven't you? <laughs> yeah, come on. Uh, 
on the last episode, we talked about our favorite uh, books of 2018. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a review of everything we had talked about last year, which, to be fair, wasn't as much as we had wanted. Yeah. We, we ended about May, and then we started up again in, like, November. Um, but, uh, again, spoiler alert. Yeah. Our favorite book was Doctor Strange Damnation. Yeah. Uh, from last year. And it was also a supernatural-focused book. Uh, featuring several characters that, you know, casual fans may not recognize. Yeah. And also featuring Blade. Blade? (laughs) (laughs) Guys, can we give Blade his own book, please? Now, on that scale, does it stand up to Doctor Strange Damnations? Uh, Rate of quality, I should say. While it isn't as... uh, focused well actually no it's a lot more focused it's a much more focused story that isn't as well it's both not as sweeping like across like the the entire like marvel universe yeah because it doesn't involve that many different characters but uh the implications of it are huge um and you know it it definitely goes like it it takes a, a deep dive into the like if you are someone who believes uh anything having to do with uh judeo christian uh beliefs or the text involved in that um this is a story that involves a quite a bit of that and has its own take on those books and the the stories that it tells gotcha sounds like a little bit of foreshadowing for our new releases this week Uh, a little bit of x-men jesus apparently (laughs) (laughs) oh my god more on that to come more on that to come oh i'm just gonna say this if you're going (laughs) to step into like the angels and demons territory we already have a really good set of characters for that. Why not let them do it? <laughs> <laughs> like Ghost Rider, specifically Johnny Blaze and Danny Ketch, and to a lesser extent, Robbie Reyes, should be talking to the people in the X-Men and saying, we're right here. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, Come on. Yeah. Also bring in Blade. <laughs> Blade? <laughs> just uh, to say. Uh, books are better when you put vampires in them. Word. Yeah. Also, look at Twilight. Last I checked, unless something happened that I missed, isn't Jubilee still a vampire? Is that still a thing? I think it is. Really? <laughs> I thought that was retconned real quick. Uh, Again, for those of you unfamiliar, yeah, Emery is typically the more Marvel fanboyish. I'm typically the more DC fanboyish. Obviously, we bleed over quite a bit. We both yeah. read Image and IDW and Boom and Titan and Dark Horse. But oh yeah, our primary go tos: me, DC, him, Marvel. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he just blurts things about the Marvel Universe that just <laughs> throws me for a loop. It's like, like wait, what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> so 
they really wrote that? It's still <laughs> happening? Why? Uh, and I, then I, I feel less bad about DC. And I'm like, hey, they're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, real talk. <laughs> Have you been reading anything else? Uh, going along with uh, the Marvel kick that I've been back on, which I might go right back off, given the how things are going. Yeah. Um, I got to say, I read the latest X-Men annual. And Cyclops is back. Now, X-Men annual, the Uncanny X-Men annual? Yeah. Yeah. That, spoiler alert again for our last episode, which should be out pretty soon here. Yeah. Um, That was our variant cover of the week last week. It was. Featuring the blue dick-headed <laughs> Cyclops. But blueberry boy. Yeah. Not the best costume, but... A very well drawn costume. It was very well drawn. I think uh, Petrovich did that one. So, yeah, I'm just gonna say right now, his costume looks better when you just add a bomber jacket to it. <laughs> it really does. Now, did the content match the drapes? I'm actually gonna say yes. Wow! <laughs> wow! Did not expect that one. Uh, yeah. While some of the story conventions that it takes are a bit on the silly side i gotta say that the the guy who wrote it was very committed to trying to tie all of the things that have happened with cyclops over the years into one cohesive we're bringing this character back not in a way that he just like kind of forgets but is somehow still the same guy this this is a story about what happens when not only do you still remember everything, you remember everything that you did wrong and what that would do to that kind of person. It's like, imagine for a moment, like you were basically the protege of Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., yeah. and you slowly... What's happening right after... <laughs> Dark, Dr. Martin Luther King Day. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> that, yeah, that's hilarious. Um, uh, imagine you were the protege of that guy, but you slowly turned into like a militant Malcolm X type. And you ended up dying in the process only to be brought back by someone who helped you remember why you were a protege of Martin Luther King in the first place. But then you remember your Cyclops, and you say, <laughs> fuck that, I'm going to be a dick again. <laughs> now, uh, this is honestly, like, this, what I would basically consider, like, a one-shot story. Um, this is a really good way of telling a story that is way more about the destination than it was about the journey. Gotcha. And I I am excited to see where they bring Cyclops. Uh, it would be my greatest hope, my greatest wish for Cyclops to just get a costume where he doesn't look like a blueberry boy again. <laughs> Can my, we... 
My greatest wish is just that they let him have hair. Uh, yes. That's all I need. Please. You can keep the rest. Just remove the stupid overhead mask thing. Right. He shoots lasers out of his face. <laughs> he doesn't have to worry about anybody grabbing his hair. Right. This is like literally the thing that would make him much more dynamic is just showing that head of hair of his. Word. Yeah. Let's get on it, X-Men. Come on. Come on. Anything else you read this week? Um, what else did I read? Uh, I read some French comics. Oh, we we pee pee. These were uh, published by Titan Books, as a matter of fact. Um, the Elric series. Yeah, you've uh, been pr- on this pretty hard recently. Yeah, uh, it's it's very well done. Um. This uh, albino wandering spell sword former emperor goes on adventures and slowly learns like the the history, like the true history of his people, and why out of everyone he's the only one who's developed a conscience. We've all been there, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> you can't just going around you can't just go around killing whoever you want because it feels good. Guys. It does feel good though. <laughs> guys, come on. We've got to be better than this. And yeah, it's very compelling, very well written. More than anything. Now, oh my god. The version you're reading, is it something that's ongoing? Or is it something that's dated a little bit? Uh, this is actually ongoing. Like there was a uh, apparently there was a hiatus for a little bit uh, since the the artists and I think the writer uh, had other projects that they were doing, but they're back. <laughs> nice. They're back, and oh my god, it's oof, it's so good. It's not made by Joe Benitez, is it? No. <laughs> Talk <laughs> about <laughs> lapses and <in> release. <laughs> Boy. I love you, Joe Bonitas, but boy. Get back on it. <sighs> Lady Mechanica. <laughs> Took forever. Yeah, th- this wasn't quite that bad. Okay. Well, that's good. That sounds pretty cool. Do you know who's publishing it off the top of your head? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think I mentioned before Titan Books. Titan. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a good title. Uh, you can find it on just about uh, any... Uh, like Comixology, uh, other places like that where you would get your comics. Um, and if you can't find, or if you want to get like a physical copy, Amazon will definitely sell it to you. Uh, you could also try asking your local comic book shop about uh, maybe stocking that one or maybe just stocking stuff from Titan Books in general. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely worth a read. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, this is. Oh my god, okay. it's so well done. Also, definitely not for kids. <laughs> I should probably say that straight up. There is, uh, there's nudity. Hot. <laughs> Uh, there's nudity, there's wanton murder, and it, yeah, other things that 
basically belong in a book titled like Heavy Metal or something. Heavy Metal. Ooh. Oh yeah. Anything else you've been reading? Um, I think that's it. Well, uh, I went on a quite a spree there trying to catch up on books. Oh, nothing new there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm yep. trying. I, I heard recently that a lot of the uh, new era of DC Heroes books are basically ending, for better or worse. Yeah. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with what DC was trying to do there, uh, after the whole Convergence event finally faded away and they did the whole cover redesigns and kind of had a new structure going forward, um, DC started this initiative called the New Era of DC Heroes. And the new era of DC Heroes, the idea was to bring in brand new characters who may or may not be, you know, diverse in terms of race and sex and creed and what have you. Background, and, maybe. Yeah. And um, kind of introduce a new wave of heroes slash anti-heroes that we could all get behind and kind of appreciate, which is something that prior to that, if you ever watched our, you know, the first season of the show, you know, going back to 2017, we really harped on Emery and I. Yeah, we, we were did. constantly harping on how they just Marvel in particular at that time kept remantling <laughs> characters that already existed, right, for the sake of diversifying their cast. Which, you know, there's nothing wrong with diversifying your your cast. You certainly should if you can, yeah, to appeal to a broader audience and you know allow readers to kind of personalize things for themselves a little bit um however uh we had, we were constantly saying hey why don't you take the characters that are diverse that originated in that diverse fashion and you know kind of expound on them a little bit more how about giving them their own books or how about creating new characters and creating new powers and something people can get on board with and dc did exactly that yeah which is great the problem is <laughs> <laughs> They basically uh. copied a bunch of Marvel characters <laughs> and just reconfigured it a little bit and then dumped it into the ether, seemingly without a particular great deal of effort. Like damage? Like damage. Damage is basically Hulk for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> like Spider-Man? Uh, Sideways, which is a terrible name, <laughs> is basically... Spider-Man and Nightcrawler combined. It's what Spider-Man would be if he had the powers of Nightcrawler. Like Brimstone? Yeah, Brimstone is basically a weird version of Ghost Rider. Um, <laughs> but not like Silencer. <laughs> <laughs> Silencer is probably the most original of the group. Um, unfortunately, Silencer is also drawn by John Romita Jr., <laughs> which is... If you're not a fan of John Romita Jr., it's a really hard ass to constantly read his books. Uh, yeah. I, I have nothing against the guy. I'm sure he's very you know skilled uh, at what he does, but his particular aesthetic and style, I find very, very, very hard to read because everything is so boxy and everything is the same color and you can't tell what the hell is going on. <laughs> um, because, it's a lot of 90 degree angles. Yeah, it's very, very boxy. Um, but I'm trying to get caught up on everything to see if the, the stuff that I thought was high quality, you know, curse of brimstone, I thought was high quality sideways. 
Again, stupid name, really high quality interior, uh, and nice cover art. Um, uh, Silencer, good storytelling, good dialogue, cool premise. Um, the Terrifics, which are basically the Fantastic Four ripoff. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed the beginning of the Terrifics. Yeah. And the artwork for the Terrifics. Um, so there, there was a lot of good to be taken there. Uh, right. I think far more good than bad. Um, much like the New 52. Like, people hated on the New 52 because a handful of small changes that they didn't like. Yeah. But if you look at the collection as a whole, the New 52 was probably 80 to 90% good stuff. Yeah. Like, there was good, high-quality stuff re, you know, imagined to a certain extent, but very good, high-quality stuff in there. It's a lot more good than bad. Yeah. And uh, I think this, this is the same type of situation with the new era of DC Heroes. I'm hoping that the reasons these books are being canceled after a year isn't that they're lacking in quality. I'm hoping it's more just the creators want to move on and do their own thing or they want to do something new with them for the upcoming event. There's a lot of illusions, as I'll get to in Sideways, about Leviathan, Mm, uh, which is the classic Batman Inc. organization, which I'm (laughs) not a big fan of, but also featured in Grayson. Right. Um, (laughs) But uh, it seems like... Whatever Brian Michael Bendis is planning for their next event, it's going to be heavily dosed with Leviathan and Talia Ghoul and that sort of whole organization. Oh, yeah. Um, which is essentially the DC version of Hydra. Yeah. <laughs> Less Nazis, same general premise. Um, They're everywhere. Yeah. But you don't know which one's which. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, the, the one I caught up on this time, last time was Curse of Brimstone, which I think is, you know, the, I think the final book is coming out this week. Um, but that book was holding up all the way to the end. It, it's, you know, as you would expect, it does get a little comic booky. Yeah. But it was still a really solid book and had a lot of heart to it. Well drawn. Uh, James Tinian, the fourth was working on it, I think, uh, for a little while there, but really, really great stuff and really enjoyed it. Um, sideways again you guys got to change the name (laughs) the character is really cool like that's the one problem that this book has. it's a good cast you gotta change the name the name is awful and it's so (laughs) awful that they even joke about it being awful (laughs) and and the last few issues of the book so uh let me get into this this is a book i very much recommend people read uh the character is a latino uh male character that's been adopted um uh, has a very strong relationship with his mother, kind of less so with the father. Um, yeah. They're basically, you know, uh, they were an older couple when they adopted. It seems like they couldn't have kids or whatever the case was. And he's got a best friend that has another really stupid name. But, <laughs> again, this this book is riddled with dumb names. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he and his best friend, basically, as a teenager would, if they suddenly got awesome powers yeah. where he can basically rift from different places much like nightcrawler but the difference being that he can like open rifts and like actually use them as a weapon so uh, kind of like blink yeah a little bit yeah so like in addition to being able to hop across literally universes <laughs> he can he can hop uh or excuse me he can open a hole and then weaponize it against the person like cut them in half yeah if he really wanted to 
Um, but basically, it starts off. He's kind of like celebrating it and like trying to make a YouTube show with this secret identity, and then <laughs> basically leaving a huge trail of breadcrumbs for anybody to find him. Oh yeah. Um, he has an Uncle Ben moment. <laughs> uh, once again, this guy is uh, it's literally just replaying kind of the Spider-Man Peter Parker story. Yeah, it's um, definitely uh, Spider-Man tropes. Yeah, going his on. best friend is basically uh, you know MJ. Yeah. Like, uh, he has his Uncle Ben moment. There's a nefarious, you know, rich corporate organization <laughs> instigating and in everything that he does. <laughs> He's connected to a weird multiverse where other char- characters don't seem to be. <laughs> it's it's very, very... Sp- and, and only 11 issues. It is very, very Spider-Man-ish. Oh, my God. Um, but that like, be- let me go down the fucking checklist <laughs> that being said there's a lot of fun to be had and a lot of good storytelling to be had in the book uh, a lot of great character moments um there are a few weak issues in the mix like there's one issue where there's this villain who can basically stir up people <laughs> like just by speaking like having a speech yeah. in a crowd of people he can like key off their emotion and make them basically riot you know and, uh. and go nuts but it only works the more people there are, the stronger he is, the less people there are, you know. Right. I can't remember what the name is, but it was real dumb. It was like Rabble Rouser or something <laughs> stupid. Uh, <laughs> once again, these names are terrible in this book. Um, <laughs> They're trying real hard, man. Yeah. <laughs> but this book is written by uh, Kenneth Rockefort and drawn by Dan Didio, who uh, did the uh, New 52 Batman. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're doing a great job. Dialogue's great. Artwork is great. Name is fucking stupid. I, I can't say it too many. I think, honestly, if there's any downfall to this book, it's that A, it's ripping off Spider-Man heavily, uh, and B, it's just the dumbest name. You shouldn't use an adjective as your name. Just, it's just It doesn't make sense. <laughs> if you wanted to call him Rift... Or something like that. He says Rift constantly. Yeah. Make that his name. Literally. It's a noun. (laughs) (laughs) It would be a perfect name. Um, But yeah, Sideways isn't cutting it. Um, But there's a lot of great stuff to be had in there. There's a lot of weird stuff, like uh, the annual, which is right around issue seven or eight. Yeah. Is co-written by Grant Morrison. So oh, things no. get really weird. Oh no. And they pull from this they pull not only from the dark universe, which is how he gets his powers. <laughs> but they also pull from the the ridiculousness that was Convergence where there was just oh. millions of different versions of ca- classic characters coming back and going, coming back and going and the multiverse. And they, they introduce this concept of the the seven. I don't know if this is a pre-existing thing or if this is just straight out of Grant Morrison's asshole. <laughs> um, but they have the seven who are these interdimensional uh, group that basically goes across universes and tries to fix things and save people. And it's an alternate version of Mr. Miracle. It's an alternate, I'm assuming alternate version of Zatanna. Uh-huh. Um, the, I think the silver bullet, I'm trying to remember who all was in it. Cause it's a bunch of weird, you know, kind of lesser known characters. Um, Oh boy. All right. It's oh. going to come to you. It's the little kid sorcerer that always has the cat with him. Can't remember his name. And I like the occult books. I should remember his name. Yeah. <laughs> but there's just a whole bunch of random people. Frankenstein was on the team. <laughs> um, 
But uh, uh. a lot of cool dynamics play out with that, although it comes at a really weird spot and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for why it's happening there and how uh. it's happening. Although it is a very convenient plot device to solve a problem that does occur in, I think, issue six or seven. Um, the character, the the Fugonaut, which is basically like an interdimensional police cop. Oh, yeah. yeah the guy who shows up in like the second issue and tells him, stop. Yeah, he says, hey, you're destroying everything. I'm going to kill you if you don't stop. And sure enough, he doesn't stop. Um, <laughs> I won't spoil the dynamic, but it's actually the best dynamic in the whole book. It's the Fugonaut uh, mixed with Sideways. Um, but I think of all the um, you know new era of DC heroes so far that I'm caught up on, I think Sideways is probably the best one. Uh, I haven't caught up on Silencer yet. I'm not going to catch up on di- Damage because it was just a bad book from the start. <laughs> um, I still need to catch up on the Terrifics. Yeah. But for Curse of Brimstone and Sideways, they're both really solid books. Both of them have a handful of weak issues that don't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but there is a lot to enjoy there. Uh, if you can get around the fact that they are borrowing a lot of... <laughs> general ideas and principles from marvel characters a bit heavy on the borrowing yeah the other book i've been catching up on i think i spoke to about this the last episode is justice league dark the current iteration um this one's written by james tinney in the fourth and drawn by martinez bueno um this is another cult book i really love the dc cult books you know gotham by midnight or constantine or justice league dark you know whatever the case may be swamp thing animal man i love all of these things um Ooh, animal man. And Justice League Dark takes it in kind of a it's a it's a good route. It's a fun route. It's an intriguing art. There's a lot of great character development, especially for Bobo the Chimp. <gasps> yeah. Oh shit. The chimp detective. The the chimp genius. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh Detective Chimp. He's actually one of the better characters in the, the book. Uh, another good character is Man Bat. They have Professor Langstrom, the Man Bat himself, soul as part of the cast. <laughs> um, they're basically being led by you know the combination of Zatanna and Wonder Woman, who makes sense. You know, yeah. If any team book was going to have Wonder Woman other than the Justice League, it would be Justice League Dark, because yeah. Wonder Woman is one of the few main characters that has actual kind of magical backgrounds right you know it's like her she... being the daughter of a god <laughs> you know right she has a whole lot of divine inspiration when yeah. it comes to like why she is what she is yep and then there's you know other characters like constantine and swamp thing have a heavy heavy showing in the book which is great hashtag save constantine hashtag save constantine come on matt ryan <laughs> dc universe get on it yeah, that's right uh, but Justice League Dark, I'm caught up to uh, issue seven, which I think was the last one. Really cool dynamic. Um, the one caveat I would say is, once again, it's tied a little too much to the Scott Snyder recent events. Like, I, Don't get me wrong. Scott Snyder's a great writer. I love him to death. I love you know the stuff he did with Batman in the New 52 was amazing. I love his American Vampire books, like you know The Wake, whatever you want. Like He's done basically everything we could have ever asked for yeah um and i will forever love him for that and he deserves the position of power he currently has over at dc however that being said i think you know the the 
Dark Knight's metal thing was awful. Yeah, it like, was bad. It, it introduced a lot of terrible concepts that were just an excuse to kind of expand the universe, and I don't think they needed that excuse. They really didn't. I think they could have just done what they wanted to do without the whole dark universe thing and had the full expanded universe that they wanted. You know, nothing is holding them to this specific canon. You know, just do what you need to do to create an interesting story. Yeah. Um, and then uh, No Justice was their four-issue uh, follow-up event. And that one was actually pretty decent. That one I actually enjoyed quite a bit. It's It still had some kind of silly things that were related to the Dark Knight's Metal thing in there. But the Justice League Dark book spins more out of the No Justice books, which, again, a four-issue book. If you want to kind of have an understanding of what's going on in the DC Universe, I'd say read that one. Because that one's only four issues long, yeah, and you'll have a much better idea of what's going on than if you try to read the Dark Knight's Metal and then catch up on all the books and then read No Justice. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really looking forward to issue eight and uh, moving on with that book. So highly recommended. Uh, great illustration inside the book. Uh, fun cover art. Great storytelling. Fun dialogue. Really great character moments with characters you wouldn't always expect. I mean, Constantine has a really awesome moment, I think, in issue six or seven. Um, Swamp Thing has a really, like, heart-crushing heart moment in issue six, I think. Issue seven does a good job telling kind of the background stories of how these characters got involved and kind of filling in the gaps between issues. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of great stuff to be had in that book, and I I highly recommend it. Uh, James Tinian also did one of my favorite versions of Nightwing, so... You know, I'm a little bit of a fanboy there, so take that with a grain of salt. But I do think it's a really solid book. And then the last book I read was Heroes in Crisis, issue five. This one done by Tom King and illustrated by Clay Mann. Um, I've been pretty critical of this book in the past. Uh huh. I still have some very strong criticisms of this book. <laughs> I don't know why I keep reading it. Um, I, I'm starting to suspect more and more that the problems I have with the book are not necessarily on Tom King. I mean, there's, there's some that certainly is. Yeah. But I think my expectations for this book were just unrealistic for what he wants to do. Like when I was heard of the book, I thought he was going to dive headfirst into like the trauma that these characters deal with, how they're going to deal with it. And I thought, you know, each issue was going to have some really interesting story with how these characters worked with a therapist or whatever the case may be, or maybe, you know, the Trinity, you know, whatever the case may be, yeah. trying to help them work through the emotional wall that they have to deal with as heroes, especially when yeah. they go through real traumatizing events like being killed and brought back to life and then being killed again and brought back to life and remembering it all. Um, stuff like that, losing friends, losing partners, losing, you know, sometimes witnessing the suicide of a specific character, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting dynamics, and while he does touch on them briefly for these, you know, eight, I think there's three, some nine, nine panel pages, a lot of times they're just wasted. And this one, the panels aren't wasted too much, and there is kind of a fun dynamic going on between the classic Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. <laughs> um but I think there's just some great leaps in logic happening. Oh. Um, they have a great speech from Superman in this issue. So I think of all of the Heroes in Crisis <laughs> issues so far, this one is the most solid. 
Yeah. Um, just because of that speech by Superman, and just because the dynamic between uh, Blue Beetle and uh, Booster Gold is really great and fun. But again, I think there's just problems that kind of are seeping into this book and not really being solved very well. Right. Like Harley Quinn. Everything about Harley Quinn in this book is terrible. <laughs> like there's n- nothing nothing redeeming about the Harley Quinn character <laughs> in this book, but she keeps being paired up with heroes. She keeps being paired up with, you know, Batgirl, being paired up with, you know, Wonder Woman or being paired up with the Justice League or whatever the case may be. And the whole time she's just blatantly talking about murdering people like it's no big deal like shouldn't that be a warning sign that you're hunting the wrong guy um yeah it's almost like she's been a villain since her inception or something yeah it's (laughs) it's really bad it's really gross and like it's the typical harley quinn exploitative kind of art style and you know aesthetic where we're just cashing in having harley quinn in the book like the trinity isn't enough like you you have to feature harley quinn constantly she's completely useless to the story and quite honestly i don't picture her killing all of these people you see dead in the first book so i just not a fan of that aesthetic the book however issue five is definitely the most solid and did give me hope so i will read issue six whereas issue five was like i'm proud if this one's bad i'm done <laughs> tom king settled down a little bit got me back into it um big fan of tom king but uh this heroes in crisis book has been a kind of struggling to go along i think again it's just me not managing my expectations very well yeah and that's definitely true a lot of the time but i it's hard it's hard to tell so well hold judgment on that one for a little while but uh yeah it didn't have the greatest start but it is getting better the artwork however clay man this is probably the best drawn uh issue so far um i'm not a fan particularly of the batgirl design it's like kind of the old school old school like batgirl with like the face mask that pokes through her hair oh yeah and like I get it. It's classic. It kind of, you know, it looks kind of interesting. It's, I mean, I'd definitely take that over the purple leather jacket uh, and bright yellow boots look. God. <laughs> but it, I don't know. I feel like there's something that could be improved there, you know, to make it seem a little more convincing. You know, there's um, a really good Batgirl design. And you get to see it in this game called uh, Batman Arkham Knight. Where it actually looks like she's, you know, someone who dressed to fight crime. Yeah. And you know who else dressed like that? Who? New 52 Batgirl. Hey! Before they redesigned her. What do you know? Uh, It's almost like we've already had a good design for this character. We really did, though. (sighs) Like, I know I'm not the final authority on costume designs, but... (laughs) It was a good one. It It was a good one. And it was even written very well. Yeah. Guys, get on it. I'm, I am kind of glad that the purple coat, horrible, Ooh. kind of like ugh, it's, college party girl version is gone. That one was awful. That needed to go. Ugh. Have you ever wanted to see Barbara Gordon really dumb and basically not be able to fight crime practically? Yeah. <laughs> In the suburbs? 
Uh, yeah, that's that's the one for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's all. And now for our latest segment, did the content match the drapes? This is our weekly segment where we discuss whether uh, a cover or variant cover of the week uh, in previous episodes had content as good on the inside as the outside and give a shout out to the writers. Now, we already kind of covered this one real quick, so we'll be real quick and speedy about it. Uh, X-Men Annual uh, number one, uh, the uncanny X-Men, excuse me. Uh, it was written by Ed Breeson, uh, cover artist, um, was, uh, Petrovich and then, uh, the illustrator inside was Carlos Gomez. So, and uh, as you stated, book, uh, oh yeah, definitely worth the ending. Oh and yeah. And the build up to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, like again, uh, what it took to get here was pretty silly and, uh, I'll just say that it definitely points out some pretty huge mistakes that they've like consistently made with that character. But at this point, they they've they've turned around, yep. and I think that's the most important thing is that not only have we turned it around, we've all already gotten a glimpse of the direction that they're planning on taking that character, which. Oh my god, it has been way too long since Cyclops has been a hero? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it, been, it's they've been playing hard into that Cyclops, you know, very aggressive, somewhat anti-hero thing for it, it, probably too long. Uh, uh, about well, a decade at least, it, right? Yeah, way too long. Cyclops, in his return to form, has been... A for me at least, a long awaited. Uh, I just I want this. This is what I want. This is uh, this version of Cyclops as the kind who engages in classic heroics. Yep. We need more of that for sure. So, uh, are you going to continue reading the book? This actually makes me want to get back into Uncanny X-Men. Very nice. Now, for us, you know, we're 90s readers. Oh, yeah. Uncanny X-Men was like the pinnacle of comic books for us. It was. Uh, and during our childhoods, I'd assume. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, Uncanny X-Men, you know, was just outstanding. And, um, you know, Jim Lee <laughs> specifically Jim Lee was doing fucking prime. super iconic art, you know, Ooh. super iconic designs super interesting and you know compelling stories some of which got made into the cartoons and stuff like that just an awesome era for x-men fans and uh every generation kind of has their thing their go-to you know yeah like oh this was better than any other one i i legitimately think that the kind of late you know early to late 90s x-men books were top of the line you know doesn't get a whole lot better than that It, it it hasn't been like for quite some time anywhere close to that and you can tell just by, by the movies the mo- movies are constantly like trying to reach that <laughs> that you know kind of nostalgic storytelling by repeating these same old tired stories instead oh, of making yeah. new ones and uh, they, they kind of struggle because of it right it's like you don't have to recycle these things all over again you just have to get the the core elements down which is yeah um what it means to be a hero is to put the needs of others, the needs of those who can't defend themselves, over your own needs. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and with that, let's get into the news. 
First up on the news, the CW has renewed six comic book series on its channel. This includes Arrow, The Flash, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, Black Lightning, and Riverdale, which is <laughs> which is the um, that's you know, Archie, the Archie, Dark Archie, yeah, the Archie kind of uh, drama there yeah. that uh, people have really been enjoying. So maybe maybe I need to check it out and quit being so jaded. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they announced that iZombie previously was going to be uh, going into its final season here. It's oh. final and fifth season starting May 2nd. So Right after I just discovered it. <laughs> so nothing too surprising there. Basically, all the superhero shows are being renewed that we expected. Yeah. Um, because they basically print money for DC and WB. The CW. <laughs> Come on now. Just, Come on. just call it WB. <laughs> we know what this is. Um, next up on the news. Uh, some people have signed up for Amazon's working Invincible TV show. Oh, shit. Now, I am very, very optimistic about this. Not only because I love Invincible, but also because Amazon did such an awesome job with the tick. Of all the characters, it would have been so easy to screw up. I would have zero confidence in this as a Amazon show or as a Hulu show. If not for the great work done with The Tick, a show that absolutely in no way, shape, or form should have been as great as it was. Oh, yeah. yeah. By no means should The Tick have been a success in the current day, but oh my God, that, that show was so good. It's so much fun. Yeah. And now there are some uh, pretty big names included in here. Uh, Steven Yoon, Sandra Oh, and Mark Hamill. <gasps> Uh, have all been included in this kind of sign-on initiative for uh, Amazon's new working show. Um, Round of applause, kids. Uh, they have voice cast uh, contributions from Seth Rogen, Jillian Jacobs, uh, Andrew Reynolds, uh, Zazie Beetz, big names, yeah. uh, Walton Goggins, uh, Mae Whitman. Oh, this is an animated. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. So there's a a lot of promising names being attached to this a lot of great talent and you know being produced by amazon a great comic book now if you're waiting for this book to kind of enjoy the content i would beg you not to <laughs> they're very easily accessible volumes of invincible it's been going for a long time i think oh, it's yeah. pretty close to its end if it hasn't ended already i think it was Last time we checked on it, it was like 170 something, yeah. and they were saying it was only going to run for about 200 issues. So, uh, I I strongly suggest you get on that and check it out. Uh, next up, this news comes from uh, Newsarama's uh, George Marston. Uh, this one, Lock and Key adds Darby Stanchfield in key role. So, uh, reportedly, um, the adaptation of Lock and Key that was dropped by Hulu. Mm -hmm. um, because they didn't like the pilot, has gotten new rights uh, purchased by Netflix. And Netflix is now working on a lock and key title. And um, they have the scandal actress Darby Stanchfield uh, to be cast as Nina Locke, which is pretty awesome. That's a pretty um, key role, yep. playing Nina Locke. Yep. So I see what you guys did there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is great news for me, because I think lock and key, more than probably any other comic I've ever read or seen lays itself out perfectly to be a, a TV show. 
Like you could frame it and like each season is about one key. Each episode is about one key, however you want to build it. But there is a lot of great content uh, in that book. I think IDW book that was uh, written by Joe Hill, illustrated by Gabriel Rodriguez. Um, this book, it's really hard to tell you about it without spoiling it. Oh, but, um, yeah. yeah. The, basically, the over overarching premise is that a very uh, traumatic event happens in the first issue for reasons related to this incident the family packs up and goes to the father's childhood home, which is this big uh, mansion. Uh, I think it was the lock mansion or whatever, something like that. Um, and the cast of the comic basically discovered that there's several supernatural magical things going on with this home, uh, with the villain that is introduced and with these keys that are littered throughout the house and you kind of have to find them they're hidden away uh some in plain sight but some you have to do very you know varying degrees of extreme things to access them or solve them or whatever the case may be and each one has a unique ability you know one key basically opens the door that allows you to become a ghost and basically your body dies and you go (laughs) off into the ether and you can go anywhere you want be anywhere you want possess anybody um but your body's just there <laughs> oh interesting. Uh, and there's another key that can basically open up a person's brain and you can peel out memories you can add things you can cause yeah. a bunch of chaos in their head and have them not remember anything uh, it's oh my ve- god yeah it's it's really really cool really really interesting and not only from a, a storytelling perspective, but also from an artistic perspective. Like, I think Gabriel Rodriguez must have had a field day drawing this book because <laughs> not only is the work great, but it's so imaginative and it's so open to different interesting concepts that I don't think we've seen too much before. You know, I might give Sandman a little credit uh, for inspiring some of this stuff from Neil Gaiman, but I, yeah. really, this book is so unique, so great, and, you know, Easily, in my opinion, the best book IDW has ever published. So um, I'm really excited for this. If you are not familiar with Lock and Key, I heavily recommend you go out and pick up a few volumes of it because it really is worth the read. Once again, very easily accessible, uh, very affordable to purchase, uh, whether it's from your local comic book shops or whether you're buying it on your digital services like Comixology. It really is worth the time investment. And I think uh, you'll thank me in the end. Um, Next up on the news, Chris Anka, who uh, previously worked with Brian Michael Bendis at Marvel, has jumped ship to return to his uh, friend and co-worker, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, and is planning to work on the Young Justice book um, that I really enjoyed that first issue of uh, with Brian Michael Bendis. So. Uh, previously, he had worked uh, with Brian Michael Bendis on Uncanny X-Men uh, in 2014 um, and a few other pieces of work, but uh, he's released some kind of concept art he's been working on for the book, and it it looks pretty good. So that's kind of a fun, exciting piece of news. He kind of give, uh, much like Brian Michael Bendis getting a new, basically, host of scenery that he can kind of expound his new ideas on and kind of branch out again. Um Chris Anka can now 
draw new characters that uh, previously he might not have been able to quite as much, no. at least not professionally. Right. So um, that's a fun piece of news. If you're a fan of Krasanka, look forward to that. Um, next up on the news, James Gunn's Suicide Squad and DC Super Pets gets its release dates. This one from Chris Arendt on Newsarama. Um, Warner Bros. has scheduled uh, DC Super Pets and the Suicide Squad for May 21st, 2021 and August 6th, 2021 release dates, respectively, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Um, this is happening. <laughs> no. Less concerned about the DC Super Pets. That's obviously something fun for kids. Oh. All about it. Suicide Squad 2 needs to not happen. Unless it's a full-blown reboot, and I don't think it is. You know, don't do not do this to James Gunn. He actually, he actually is a good director. Yeah. Let's not waste him on the previous iteration of Suicide Squad, please. Which may be the worst movie I've ever seen. Period. Oh, come on. It's real Hollywood movie. It was real bad. <laughs> it's real bad Hollywood movie. And I only know this because you forced me to watch it. <laughs> you wouldn't let me live in my delusions. <laughs> you damn right. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's it, it's in the news, so I talked about it. I don't want it to happen. It's happening. Um, in related news, let's uh, go ahead and talk about the other piece of garbage that we have to deal with. Uh, like, I know there's fans out there that are like, oh, this is the best version of Suicide Squad ever. I love Harley. Blah, blah, blah. It's awful. <laughs> awful. <laughs> awful. I, <laughs> it's bad. Anybody, anybody with half a brainstem can figure out that this is an awful product <laughs> and we need to stop. There are, there, are, there are pieces that could have been great, but were just completely shat out. So it, it, yeah, it, that's, any kind of movie that uh, turns terrible the minute you turn your brain on, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, for the love of God, it, pretty rough. But uh, basically, uh, Margot Robbie from her social media platforms released some teasers, uh, mostly featuring Harley Quinn uh, for the upcoming Birds of Prey movie, uh, which is slated for February seventh, twenty twenty. I beg you, DC, don't do this. Please don't do this. We have we have some good karma going forward with Aquaman. With you know, there's Wonder Woman a little bit long, you know, further back, but there was still a little bit of good vibes going on. The Joker movie looks like it's in another universe and looks great and might be promising. Shazam's trailers have looked awesome. They and have, I'm, and I'm totally about Shazam. Doesn't need to be in this universe. Don't fuck this up, can, DC. Can we just not? fuck up birds of prey and just let it be in the new universe um the harley quinn outfit looks awful (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know how it's a harley quinn outfit because nothing about it makes me think harley quinn harley quinn except her makeup it's about it um it's clearly just a sexploitation type of thing going on to cash in on harley quinn is she She's a roller girl. Now, like they literally turned her into a fucking roller girl with fucking pom poms and shit. Pom poms. Oh, it's so bad. On a sucker. It's so bad. Oh, oh my god. Not that Margot Robbie's bad. I love Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie's great, but that with the way they're handling this character is awful. Now, right. I may be mistaken. There may be some vague uh, representation by Harley Quinn in the Birds of Prey somewhere. 
But to my knowledge, Harley Quinn has not been a member of the Birds of Prey. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the sirens, yes. Birds of Prey, no. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems very antithetical to have Harley Quinn leading the Birds of Prey, you know, with Huntress and Renee Montoya and just, ugh. You know who was also a Bird of Prey? Batgirl. Yeah. Seemingly missing. Y- yeah. Suspicious. Yeah, what the fuck? Oh, remember that Batgirl movie we were going to produce, but then Joss Whedon was like, fuck this. This is a horrible <laughs> script. I'm out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, not a good sign. Nope. Uh, Definitely I, not. I don't want this to happen, and I beg you, DC fans out there, please don't give them your money for this. They're just going to keep pumping this garbage out. L- let them see with your dollars that this is not a good product, and we should perhaps refine this a little bit into the future so that we can get higher quality products going forward china i'm looking at you yeah i get it when you can't understand the language being spoken it's very easy to forgive the acting and the lines written (laughs) however (laughs) even with the language barrier in place you should be able to recognize that this is a bad product please do not support it with your billions of people and billions of dollars please i'm begging you you can't you keep sending these movies over to a billion dollars gross now that they're opening in china and it's it's really hurting us that's all i wanted to say it keeps happening oh man china will keep the entire dceu alive by default oh man (laughs) It's so, so Aquaman, bad. billion dollars. <laughs> Aquaman. <laughs> yeah, it's it's disappointing to say the least. Uh, yeah. Uh, next up on the news, uh, let's go ahead and talk about Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck has officially stated he will not be participating in the upcoming The Batman uh, movie which is supposedly going to be more of a, a noir, younger Batman, uh, focused more on crime-solving and mystery-solving, which is what you know most people would expect from Batman. You mean to tell me the guy who was writing and directing... Yes. ...and starring... Yes. ...in this movie... Yes. ...is now... Completely uninvolved. Completely uninvolved. It was like, okay, this is getting to be a bit much... I'm not going to direct. Okay, we're going with a different script. Fine. Uh, Yeah, okay, so if you can uh, take a look over here. Uh, We've gotten rid of writing. (laughs) We've gotten rid of directing. Yes, yes. (laughs) He was going to act, and now he's like, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Fuck this shit, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, if you're not watching the video, Emery has been flicking off the camera. Uh, yeah. Uh, as I, he counted down. <laughs> yeah, I am usually never that guy. I am never the guy to flick off the camera. Yeah. But. Now, look, I this is promising news for me as a person that wants a full-blown reboot or to just split it into multiple, you know, canons, you know. It, have the Joker upcoming Joker movie be a separate canon. Have the Shazam movie be a more like lighthearted canon. 
Please don't put these all in the same cannon. We don't need it. I don't need Jared Leto anymore. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't need Fat Bat, old man Fat Bat anymore, unless he's going to be directing Terry McGinnis uh, and Batman Beyond, uh, which is another piece of news. We'll get to that. Yep. Um, it's it's interesting because now we get to kind of look for who's going to be the new Batman. Generally speaking, the new Batman has never been like the superstar E-lister. It's the exception being Ben Affleck, probably, and George Clooney, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people would say were not the best Batman. Nope. Um, you know, Ben Affleck has great moments, but again, he's just way too fat, <laughs> and he cr- clearly doesn't care about the character that much, uh, as much of his as you would think he would being the huge comic book guy and like kind of co-writer with Kevin Smith. He used to be. Yeah. See, Um, here's the thing with that. I personally think that his attachment to Batman should never have been as, as an actor. I think as a writer and a director, Ben Affleck has more than proven himself with things like the town and Argo and I think there was another movie where it's like he was a director, but yeah, he he's good at writing. He's good at directing. He's also good at acting. Gone Girl was amazing. Yeah. But somehow, like when it comes to doing the Batman, it, the the whole thing is like he shit the bed. Yeah. And I I don't want to beat Ben Affleck up too much. <laughs> we'll beat him up because, a little bit let's face it we, if we could all be batman we would take that opportunity in a heartbeat oh you goddamn right we would but clearly i am not the best person to play batman i don't think you <laughs> yeah. are either uh uh yeah it, no, it takes I'll a very take particular Joker, type of individual a very jacked individual <laughs> uh, uh to play batman properly you have to be a very highly qualified actor who can portray emotion and a suit that hides your eyebrows uh and, and half and your hoop, face uh, yeah and a suit that leaves you usually just with your a, mouth. usually with an altered voice that does not uh <laughs> lend well to uh acting <laughs> right acting um yes <laughs> it's a very tough role to play and i think oftentimes in live action films the villain ends up outshining the batman character in yeah. part because of these limitations, you know, the half the Batman can't move their neck because of the dumb suit. <laughs> you know, Christian Bale had to grumble his voice like this, and you could barely understand him. Because I'm Batman. I'm not wearing hockey pads. Yeah. I'm not wearing hockey And when you actually do get to have a Batman that can, for the first time ever, move his fucking neck, yeah. uh, he's still doing that. Yeah. I have to hide who I am. Because... Yeah, so it's a very hard role to portray, and you know, fans' expectations are always through the roof. So it's very hard to live up to those expectations. Oh yeah. Um, I will admit, like the first time I saw BVS, I I actually enjoyed it specifically because of the Batman moments. Specifically, you know, towards the end. I know everybody makes fun of the Martha moment, but I actually thought it was clever, if maybe too clever, uh, way to kind of give some kind of emotion to a guy that's constantly grumbling the entire movie and killing people. <laughs> Who totally didn't kill anybody. Totally Everybody didn't. survived those explosions <laughs> and bullet wounds and right. stab wounds. And 
you know, yeah. head-on collision. <laughs> um, but um, there's there's a lot of... Uh, okay, I just have one thing to say about that movie. Superman should have just said, would you please save my mother? Yeah. That was it. Okay. Well, the thing is, he doesn't know who his mother is. You know, he still technically has the secret identity, but everybody yeah. knows who he is. But, you know, he's saying save Martha, trying to get out Kent, but Batman's choking him with his fucking very uh, convenient kryptonite spear. It's kryptonite spear of destiny because he's trying to kill, like, uh, Super Jesus. <laughs> Spoiler, he does. Um, but it's... You know, it's a stretch. There's problems with the movie. I won't get into it. I, uh, a lot of problems with the movie. Not yeah. a good movie. Not It's not. Mostly because of some writing choices, way too much shit crammed into it, and uh, Lex Luthor in particular. <sighs> oh, he's so bad. Uh, um, yeah. Aquaman has some similar shit, but somehow manages to still be fun. Yeah. Whereas Be- Beavis was just a slog. Yeah. there is. It's a very long movie, much like Aquaman. Um six movies worth of material yeah it was it, it, very much like aquaman <laughs> uh but i'd say there was the bad parts of aquaman were not as bad the, you know the stuff in aquaman was like okay that was dumb but i can get over it the stuff in bvs is so bad so egregious that you just can't get over it and it, yeah the good parts can't overpower the bad parts because they're just so terrible whereas aquaman the good parts were so good that you you just like okay you know i can still put all this dumb stuff and bad acting aside and just enjoy the film you know right and give it a solid six (laughs) (laughs) whereas bbs you come out like man some of those moments were really great but man that was really bad what they did there (laughs) did they really have to do that oh man it's so bad oh it's a one it's a it's one. A one. <laughs> it's a one. It, it's a point five. <laughs> uh, Suicide Squad is a point one. <laughs> I, uh, it, yeah. it gets point one for being a movie. <laughs> that's, that's what it gets. It, it has the minimum qualifying feature uh, of the rating scale, which is, are you a movie? <laughs> <laughs> are you a movie? Yes. Point one. It, point one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like getting points for writing your name on your test. You know? Did you write your name on your pe- test? One point. You know, one point out of 100. Oh, uh, then uh, The Room should get like three points. <laughs> As a, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure Tommy Wiseau was responsible for at least three important things in that movie. Yeah. So uh, next up on the news, uh, we had some uh, rumors going around about a Batman animated movie in the works with some new artwork. I don't know where this artwork was coming from, if uh, what I'm about to say is true, but uh, there was some like concept art floating around, and to be honest, I wasn't a fan of the concept art I was seeing. It was very, it was like almost like Samurai Jack animation oh. style, and I was, there was just too much like lines and red that just didn't need to be there. Um, not like new 52 like you know armor lines but more like just random like adidas stripes (laughs) (laughs) um but apparently as of yesterday umberto gonzalez said that no there is no batman beyond movie in development 
Their official word is not true. We are not working on an animated uh, Batman Beyond movie. In fact, to be extra sure, it was checked and shot down at Warner Animation Group on the feature side, DC Films and WB Animation TV side. So what I'm guessing is that some people drew up some rough concept art to try to pitch it. But yeah. then, but then it just never got anywhere. I think that's the most likely scenario. And then somehow pictures of it got leaked out and people ran with it. It's also possible that they're just covering their ass because DC is terrible at their job. Yeah. <laughs> and they leaked it all out. And now they're like, fuck, let's just pretend we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where's that cocaine? <sighs> <sighs> Thank uh, you, Aquaman. Can I just say, <sighs> I, I, uh, yes, also that. Uh, <laughs> can I just say, I don't know what people's aversion or what the studios think people's aversion is to like the cyberpunk dystopian future that we all desperately want to see yeah if blade runner 2049's turnout was to be believed yeah uh, come on guys i think honestly the batman beyond universe would be the easiest of all the dc properties right now with all the confusion going on yeah to adapt into a live action movie yeah because you don't have to be tied to any canon because, you really don't? Because the Batman Beyond canon is not mainstream canon most of the time. You know, New 52 had a mainstream canon for a little bit, and then they altered it a little bit, and then they had two alternate books that were alternate Batman Beyonds, uh, one trained by Dick Grayson, who was, you know, battle-hardened, and Bruce Wayne was gone, and yeah. yeah. It was very interesting. There's a lot of great There's a lot of great material for Batman Beyond to be pulled from, and I think there's the, the you know, late 90s, early 2000s kids who watched Batman Beyond are old enough now to come out to your movies and yeah. want to see it in live action. Yeah. And you don't have to have a big fat giant muscled out guy. Cause Terry McGinnis was just a, you know, a teenager that he, he was a teen in a super suit. Yeah. That had a powered suit that he didn't necessarily have to be the strongest or most powerful guy out there. You know, he didn't have to be Bruce Wayne. He, right. He was just a kid. Easy explanation for the suit. Batman got old. Yeah, but still couldn't stop being Batman. Yeah, and you could have a perfect you could have a perfect story arc. You'd have the first movie is kind of the introduction to Batman Beyond, kind of like a Nolan trilogy s type of thing. Yeah, first one introduces Bruce Wayne and Terry McGinnis and the whole backstories of what's going on, and they have their first you know bout with say the Joker gang or whatever the the people that killed Terry McGinnis's you know uh, father. <laughs> Right, father. <laughs> for those of you who watched the Justice League uh, Unlimited series, um, really great. That was probably the best episode of the Justice League show. Oh was yeah, that was the Batman Beyond episode, which is so <laughs> weird. Um, yeah, that was that was a trip. You could have the second one basically focused on kind of uh, Batman finding out uh, about the whole Argus thing and about his true origins and why it is that uh, Amanda Waller did certain things and led to the current Batman uh, iteration and have that movie about him working it out with Bruce and kind of figuring things out, what, it, what he wants to prioritize in life, whether he wants to continue being this Batman beyond uh, character um, and then maybe kind of introduce the Justice League at the end and then have the third movie be like, you know, the future Batman beyond Justice League team up movie where you basically have the episode where, uh, I don't want to spoil things if you want to go back and watch that cartoon, but there's an episode where Terry McGinnis is drafted into the Justice League to in internally investigate for Superman. Yeah. Um, some ongoings that have been 
killing Justice League members. And yeah. Superman strongly suspects that it's going on internally. And, and this is a like black suit Superman at this point. Yeah, it's the black and white, you know, old, you know, uh salt and pepper yeah, Superman that's white wall hair. And that would be a great trilogy to set up. I mean the the stuff writes itself. As long as you it does. execute properly, you could have a really great product. And I think that one's probably the easiest one because it doesn't have to be tied to any of this other bullshit. Right. I, I think the... Here's the thing that's kind of silly about the fact that we haven't done this yet. One, we already have a pre-existing fan base for this. Two, you guys are willing to spend money creating a CGI chin strap for Ocean Master. <laughs> I don't know why that bothers you so much. It was it, it, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> it, it 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 was noticeable because like they literally could have used a practical effect that would have been you know believable as head armor. Why didn't you? Why did you have to CGI that? You guys didn't even have to have the chin strip. Just let it be a helmet thing. Why the chin strap? Oh my god. Okay. You guys are willing to spend money on that. That clearly silly looking thing. But you don't want to invest in Batman Beyond. What the fuck? (laughs) I mean, it's no secret that DC loves to waste money. Or play Uh, chess against themselves. uh, They certainly love to do that too. Uh, Again... We beat up on DC all the time. (laughs) You make it so easy. (laughs) It's not because we don't like DC. We love DC products. We just don't like it seeing mishandled. Yeah. yeah. And seeing just all this effort and all this money just being blatantly wasted on silly, stupid things. Like, how much money did they spend on animating a CG helmet that they could have just physically made for a fraction of the cost? If that. I mean, you could probably find a cosplayer down the street. I can make a proper helmet that would look great in a movie for like a hundred, two hundred bucks. Yeah, easy, pretty simple. You don't have to spend a million dollars on CG effects to animate a stupid helmet. It's I don't think it's that difficult. I'm, right, you know, I'm not it, a filmmaker, you it, know, but everything doesn't have to be CG. Right. He, here's the thing that kills me about it: every time I see them unnecessarily CGI part of a costume when the rest of it is basically practical it makes me think of the eye mask from green lantern <laughs> that's exactly what they're doing yeah it's, it's just more subtle because it, it's, it's not bright green and shiny right it, like instead of <sighs> there were parts of the green lantern movie that were cool the thing that wasn't the thing that needed to be cool the most was the suit yeah <laughs> <laughs> Green Lantern is we gotta do proper reviews of these movies. Uh, yeah, we do. But oh man, my that, god. That movie was such a disappointment. Such wasted potential. They had the perfect actor for Sinestro. They did! The perfect actor. It, it, he's just, so good they dusted him off for fucking Shazam. And they just fucked up that movie so bad that he can never do it again. <sighs> that's that's the disappointing part. You're ruining key actors, you're ruining key scripts. Key storylines that we're never going to get to see again because they tried it and they epically failed. They have one more shot with Mark Strong. 
one more <sighs> shot, and it's in Shazam. Don't fuck this up. Yeah. Guys. So, we'll see what happens. Next up on the news, we're finally getting away from DC a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Again, from Newsarama, Chris Arendt has written this one. Scout's Fisheye uh, comic has been optioned for a movie. Now, this one I thought was cool to mention because Scout doesn't get a whole lot of shout-outs, you know. Because, if ever. Because of how long our podcast runs and how much time it takes to edit and everything, we cut down our weekly comic book uh, releases, and we cut Titan, we cut Scout comics, we cut... Uh, uh oni press uh several other uh brands that are kind of smaller in volume so we we just didn't feel is worth going through those extra books every week when it the time investment to do it is a lot greater Um, yeah so we tried in an effort to cut down uh on the new releases every week and the time it takes to get through them we realized that not our our entire audience doesn't want to sit there and listen to every single one um we cut those, but those companies still make really great products, and they're still eligible for comic cover and variant cover of the week, so we always look through what they are releasing. Um, but Fisheye was kind of like a, a, a weird book. I didn't read the whole thing, but it was a weird book where it was kind of like a, it was like a TV showdown type of book. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like, um, not like Mojo World, but kind of like Mojo World. Mm. But um, it was it was enjoyable for the amount I read. Right. Um, but I thought this needed, should have a good shout out uh, that uh, a scout comic actually got optioned for a movie. So that's yeah, that's promising signs. They're actually digging into kind of the lesser known books. You know, Scout being a really small publisher, comparatively speaking. Um, scout actually published a book from a local uh, oh, team. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Long Gone. Uh, it was a book that uh, was. Uh, worked on by some people that worked at a Laughing Ogre that is near us here in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So a lot of great stuff coming out of Scout, Scout Comics, and uh, cool that they got a option for a movie there. We'll see what happens with it. Uh, next up, The Boys. Uh, got their first trailer. Uh, oh, boy. This one coming from Newsarama, George Marston. Um, Amazon's TV... Uh, you know, Prime Video option has just released the trailer. We watched it, uh, being produced by Seth Rogen. What did you think of it? Uh, only based on the fact that it's being produced by Amazon uh, do I have really, really high hopes for this. Because this video really doesn't show much, honestly. And... In a lot of ways, I actually prefer that it doesn't show me terribly much. I yeah. like I, I need just enough to I need just enough to make me want to watch it. Yeah. Like I, I don't need to know like every little plot point. Is like you tell me it's based on this comic and give me you know just a little bit of what's going on. That's all I need. Yeah, uh, I I thought it looked like a great trailer. I was actually really impressed. I didn't expect. I've only read a little bit of The Boys. I think you've read a little more than I have. Uh, I, I've read a bit more than you have on yeah. The Boys. I've read like two issues of it. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. I just never got around to it. Just never kept up with it. But from what little I remember, 
this kind of reminded me of a few things that did happen in those two issues, mm-hmm. and it makes me want to go back and read it all. Yeah. <laughs> Which, if if a trailer is doing that, that's a good sign. Yeah. So I'm probably expect a recap of the boys from April before too long here <laughs> uh, before the show comes out. I have high hopes for it. Again, Amazon blew the doors off. Uh, you know the house with the tick oh it yeah. just really knocked it out of the park i think they're gonna do the same a similar thing with uh this this iteration of the boys here and uh i i'm i'm looking forward to it yeah uh, for any of you who, who are curious uh what the basic premise of the boys is um basically this writer uh i'm forgetting the name of the writer of the book but um, imagine for a moment uh, you're writing something with the intention of deconstructing an established uh, mythos type. Um, the first arc, or the overarching story, follows uh, what's basically a government outfit uh, meant to reign in kind of similar to powers but uh on much more a uh like a federal sense as opposed to uh powers being more like a local thing kind of like amanda waller what yeah she does yeah it's like imagine like a group of people uh, uh basically act like what if shield had to deal with a set of avengers that were uh secretly fucked up behind closed doors mm-hmm. um and the first arc has to deal with an Avengers type group or Justice League, what have you. Yeah. Um, in later volumes, they deal with uh, different archetypes or superhero archetypes that they deconstruct the shit out of. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. the the one The ones I read about, it was I think it was issue one and two. I'm assuming. But that one was about the Justice League types, and I was like, whoa, whoa there's some saucy stuff going on here. So now now I'm kind of excited because I want to jump back into it and catch up and see what happened in it. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, for a teaser of what they will get into should this uh, show do well, um, they also deconstruct an X-Men type setup. Ooh. Yeah. This could be intriguing. Yeah. yeah, I'm totally down. <laughs> Amazon does great work. I'm excited for it. Can't wait. Uh, next up on the news, uh, DC has uh, made some organizational changes. This article coming from Michael Doran, uh, managing editor over at Newsarama. Once again, we use Newsarama all the time. Sometimes we forget to give them a shout out. It's a great news resource. There's other ones out there like uh, CBR and stuff like that. Unfortunately, I think too many of them report on just bullshit rumors. And honestly, I think they just make up a lot of stuff. Newsarama has been like consistently one of the most dependable ones I've read. Yeah. Even if they're not the most flashy, they have a consistent website. The one caveat is that they have these terrible videos that autoplay on all their pages, which is really annoying. Every time. If they got rid of that, I would love their website. But uh, big shout out to Newsarama. They do really good work. Uh, but getting into the article, news DC uh, just announced that it's laying off a handful of, you know, uh, organizational people, mostly people in top roles, um, I'm, I'm assuming high-paid roles, um, in order to hopefully restructure things to be more coherent uh, uh, and uh, more efficient going forward in their production. 
Uh, I'll go ahead and read the quote here. Uh, this one coming straight from uh, the DC uh, memo there. Uh, received from Pan Lifford, the president of Warner Bros. Uh, Global Brands and Experiences. Quote, today has been a challenging day. We have made organizational changes across DC that we will believe, uh, excuse me, that we believe will help to strengthen and involve the division for future success. With these changes come difficult decisions, which we take very seriously. Quote, we recognize and appreciate that all of our employees have made considerable contributions to our business, and that it is difficult to lose colleagues, many of whom have been here for a long time and have made an important impact on D.C. We thank them for their hard work and dedication to D.C. As always, we are committed to taking care of our employees and will be thoughtful as possible with those who are impacted by these changes. Together with Dan and Jim and the executive team, Dan Didio specifically, we have spent time assessing uh, DC's business as well as the comic book publishing landscape. DC is going back to its roots of delivering epic stories with our world-class characters, stories, and brands. Being a premier house of storytelling will never go out of style, and we intend to ultimately su super serve our existing fans. That was really lame. <laughs> uh, while providing new compelling content that engages and excites even more fans from around the globe. Rest assured, the direct market will remain at the heart of our business and will continue to be one of our greatest strengths. The new streamlined structure is focused on creating, delivering, and supporting a robust publishing operation that will allow DC to be nimble, navigate an industry and change, and thrive. As we communicated today, we are forming three distinct work streams, editorial, production, and manufacturing, and publishing support services. Editorial will continue to be run by Bob Harris, SVP and Editor-in-Chief, who will also be responsible for new initiatives in global publishing, editorial scheduling, and art direction. How about this for editorial uh, scheduling? Let's commission books, have them created beforehand, chop them up into concise narrative pieces, and then release them ahead of time instead of going paycheck to paycheck to paycheck and relying on these artists and creators to make up the entire thing in one month. Just a thought. You said it before. I'll say it again. The current model is not working. As you'll notice on Delay Corner. Yes. Which happens every week now. <laughs> uh, we really wish it didn't. Next up uh, from that quote, uh, blah, 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 blah. It talks about the organizational structure of that. Uh, quote, we recognize there are other groups across D.C. who are not fully dedicated to supporting and publishing business and therefore are not directly addressed in today's news. As the global brands and experiences structures uh, continue to develop, I look forward to sharing more information uh, with you as that evolves. Many of you have questions, and in the coming days, you will receive more information from Bob, Allison, and Hank about the teams. Uh, together with Dan and Jim, I will be hosting town hall meetings Thursday on the individual floors to discuss these changes and provide more insight. Thank you again for your support, hard work, and loyalty to DC. Each of you is incredibly valued, and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow afternoon where I do my best to answer any questions. So, uh, interesting news. We'll see how it works out for them. From what it sounds like is they're going to become more event-heavy, which is something that has been a problem, I think. Yeah. More or less. I don't think events are bad necessarily, but I think having multiple major events that correlate between several different books, while it might be good for business, if the quality isn't there, 
it, it's usually bad for the group as a whole because it's just going to deter readers from wanting to read future books like the dark knight's metal thing i know there was popular parts of it but the overall content was not up to snuff and it it scared a lot of people away and i think a lot of readers are abandoning ship because they have no idea what the hell's going on right. for a lot of these books and i think that was the biggest struggle that the new era of dc heroes had to deal with is that you had to understand all of this nonsense in order to even understand what the hell was going on in most of these new era of dc heroes books because most of them were directly influenced by the events of dark knight metal yeah so just something to think about you know i'm not a business executive you know i i i'm college educated but i'm not college educated in business or art for that matter um but from my perspective i feel like there are easy solutions to a lot of problems that DC and Marvel both currently have in the comic book industry as a whole. Yeah. As a customer, I will say this event fatigue is real. Yeah. It's like once the only thing that you guys end up uh, releasing just turns out to be, it's all, it's all events all the time. No exceptions. Yeah. Why do I follow these characters anymore? Well, the thing is, I think it would be better in design if you just had your, you know, have maybe one event a year, like one big event to end out the year or something like that. That's, yeah. you know, sort of alluded to and built up throughout the year in all the titles, but not really directly influencing the narrative of the titles. Yeah. And then at the end of the year, have your little concise event. But if you want to do more like event style books, have them be independent books that don't have to be alluded to in any of the canon books they can still be canon but you can just set them aside and be like this is going to be its own concise book and event and storyline for example batman white knight very clear very concise issue to issue no delays was clearly fully ready to go by the end there i think the only thing that got changed was maybe the end because of how successful it was they kind of gave a good setup for a future dive into the this sean gordon murphy world yeah um and it didn't have to be tied to anything else that was going on mr miracle that was one of the advantages of the mr miracle event book you know it seemed like a big yeah you know world shaking event was going on in this book maybe maybe uh, but it benefited from that it wasn't connected to the main canon stuff going on because it didn't have to be aff- you know, afflicted by dark knight's metal it didn't have to be affected by no justice it could just be its own concise story which is great and i yeah i think if dc and marvel took that approach more often it would be much more beneficial to them and to incoming readers and retaining readers you know for the longevity of the service and the consumer base I don't know if you agree with me, but that's personally how I feel the structure would be benefited the most. If you want to boost sales, have like some kind of cool artist do some variants. Like, you know, say, hey, uh, Jim Lee, you're a really popular artist and we really love you. I know you got a lot on your plate, but would you consider doing our, you know, September variants for that month and just pick, you know, five or ten titles and do a cover for them you know anything you want you know just go ahead and work at any theme you want and we'll just advertise that that would give you a huge boost in sales to have jim lee variant covers you know for these books easily release them you know give him a year to work on it so he's got plenty of time to work on the five or ten drawings you know for the, the the cover 
I think stuff like that could easily boost sales without having this, you know, universe shaking event that makes it impossible for new readers to kind of understand what the hell is going on. It makes it difficult for, you know, long-term readers like me and yourself Mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, keep up on and not have to play, you know, hundreds of titles worth of catch up on to even understand what's going on and stay in the know more or less. Mm. Um, But I'll leave my rant there. Um, Next up on the news, it's a time for another episode of Delay Corner. Oh, boy. Womp, womp. Uh, This time coming from Marvel Comics, uh, Fantastic Four and Tony Stark, Iron Man, uh, have both have issues pushed back. Marvel has informed retailers that Fantastic Four number nine and Tony Stark, Iron Man number 11 have both been rescheduled. Uh, Iron Man uh, number 11 has been pushed back five weeks to May 22nd. Five weeks. Damn. And Fantastic Four number nine has been pushed back three weeks to April 24th. So uh, if you're a fan of those books, unfortunately, you're going to have a bigger gap. Uh, These are books that have been previously delayed, too. So, again, we always say it. We're harping on it again. The quickest and easiest way to lose your reader base is to delay your book. Um, You know, people forget about it. And then when it does appear on the shelf again, they don't want to go back and have to play catch up and remember what the hell's going on and have to reread the whole run just to figure out, okay, where was I at in the story again? Okay. It's it's mad. It's, it's difficult for fans and it's a bad business practice. And I, once again, I wish these things were prepared ahead of time uh, and then cut into coherent pieces and then sold issue to issue just like normal, but having been already created and ready to release. That's my feeling on it. I harp on it all the time. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so that's it for Delay Corner. Uh, hopefully these delays become fewer and far uh, in between, and uh, we get this stuff nailed down. And that, my friends, is the news. Uh, you know, it, it seems like every week there's always something going on with all of these comics that we read. Out with it, man. Out with it. it. This is a special week. The very special week. You know why? It's a Super Bowl. And what does every Super Bowl start with? The kickoff. So, to kick us off. Uh. <laughs> and so, to kick us off, I'll ask you, as I always do, what comics are we picking up this week? Well, Emery, I thought you'd never ask... First up from Marvel Comics, we have Age of X-Man, M-A-N, The Marvelous X-Men, M-E-N, number one. Is that confusing? Only a little. Uh, Next up, we have Asgardians of the Galaxy, number six. (laughs) 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 Whatever you do, watch your butt. Uh, Next up, we have Avengers, number 14. We have Champions, number two. We have, holy crap, there's a lot. Conan the Barbarian, number three. We have Daredevil, number one. Ooh. We have Deadpool, number nine, featuring a lovely Valentine's Day cover. We have Gunhawks, number one. We have Killmonger, number four. We have Old Man Quill, number one. Oh boy, another old, old man. man Quilliam. <laughs> this one written by the same person who wrote uh, Old Man Hawkeye. 
because it, we're just trying to make these people old at this point. Yeah. If it's a good story, I'm all for it. I liked Old Man Hawkeye. I liked Old Man Logan. Not. Sh- I don't think I liked the new version of Old Man Logan as much, but eh. it was something. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Star Wars number 61. We have The Immortal Hulk number 13. We have Tony Stark, Iron Man, number eight. Remember, the issue 11 will be delayed. Yep. Uh, We have Uncanny X-Men, number 11. We have X-23, number nine. And that wraps up Marvel Comics. From Dynamite Entertainment, we have Battlestar Galactica, Twilight Command, number one. Bears eat beats. We have... Uh, Project Superpowers, number six. We have Red Sonia, number one. We have Vampirella versus Reanimator, number two. More boobs. And that wraps up Dynamite. Boobs as always. <laughs> From DC Comics, we have Adventures of the Super Sons, number seven. We have Batman's number 64, Last Cold Case, with a very cool uh, variant cover from uh sean gordon murphy oh boy we have deathstroke number 40 we have female furies number one we have green arrow number 49 we have green lantern number four we have harley quinn number 58 we have justice league number 17 we have superman 100 page spectacular number one we have suicide squad the black files number four we have The Curse of Brimstone, probably the last issue, uh, number 11. We have The Dreaming, number 6, which is the Vertigo title. Uh, we have The United States versus Murder, Inc., number 6. And we have Brian Michael Bendis's Young Justice, number 2, which I will be picking up uh, as part of the Wonder Comics there. From IDW Publishing, we have Atomic Robo, Dawn of the New Era, number 2. We have G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, number 259. We have G.I. Joe, Sierra Muerte, number one. We have Marvel Action Avengers, number two. We have Sonic the Hedgehog, number 13. Gotta go fast. Gotta go fast. Next up from Image Comics, we have Cemetery Beach, number six. We have Curse Words, number 20. We have Die, (gasps) number three. We have Freeze, (sighs) number three. We have Gasolina, number 15. We have Prodigy, number three. Oh, shit. We have Self-Made, number three. Uh, first issue was pretty interesting. We have The Walking Dead, number 188. We have Unnatural, number seven. And we have uh, Vindication, number one. From Boom Studios, we have Giant Days, number 47. We have The Empty Man, number four. We have WWE, number 25, brother. Oh, yeah. From Dark Horse Comics, we have BPRD, The Devil You Know, number 13. We have Halo, Lone Wolf, number two. We have LaGuardia, number three. We have Mystery Science Theater, 3000, number four. We have Sword Daughter, number six. And we have The Girl in the Bay, number one. And we have The Umbrella Academy with the upcoming show, Hotel Oblivion, number five. Ooh. And that is everything coming to your local comic book shops. Again, please support your local comic book shops. And digital devices this week. Hello, folks. Uh, please excuse this brief interruption. Uh, we unfortunately came too close to the beginning of the Super Bowl. It is Super Bowl Sunday. So uh, Emery had to 
leave uh, pretty quickly there uh, to pick up somebody and uh, go enjoy the Super Bowl uh, where he was going to. And obviously, I had to enjoy the Super Bowl where I was going to. Uh, (laughs) Well, uh, we both know how that turned out. A record-breaking low score in the Super Bowl, so not the most exciting of events. Uh, But uh, it did take a chunk of time out. And uh, unfortunately, Emery won't be, be won't be able to come back uh, tonight to finish the episode. But we still wanted to get the episode out to you. He left me a few notes for our uh, topic of discussion tonight. Uh, we left it right at the end of um, the comics of the week. Now, after we read the comics of the week, for those of you unaware, we always hand out a award for cover and variant cover of the week, and. We'll get right into it. So, now, it is time to hand out the prestigious, nay life-changing award of cover and variant cover of the week. First up, our cover of the week goes out to none other than Marvel's Tony Stark, number eight. This cover done by Alexander Lozano. Now, this cover is a great callback to the classic... uh, I would say um, kryptonite for Tony Stark, his addiction to alcohol. Uh, This has been uh, kind of uh, perpetuated since the Demon in a Bottle storyline. You know, it's one of many of Tony Stark's character flaws, but uh, the one that he is probably most susceptible to, at least throughout history, is his infatuation with being intoxicated. Um, The cover features a really great... uh, blending of the colors of his suit with the blending of a brown liquor most likely whiskey or bourbon or something of the sort uh on the rocks there and you can see um iron man there in his iron man suit basically drowning in the liquor uh with the the ice cubes crushing him overhead um it's just a really really cool cover that really sends an an interesting message about how the uh, alcoholism has kind of been a huge burden upon Tony's life. I mean, I, I we're not. I don't think Emery was, and I'm definitely not caught up on uh, the current iteration of the Iron Man, Iron Man uh, legacy or what has been going on in this specific uh, comic. However, it does harken back to the classic problems that Tony Stark has been dealing with. Um, throughout most of his uh, existence as a character. And it's a, it's a genuine problem that uh, I have a lot of familiarity with, not because of my, my particular addictions or anything like that, but because uh, very big people in my life have struggled with uh, alcoholism, uh, specifically parental figures. Uh, and it has been extremely detrimental to both my life and to the lives of all the people around Uh, the people involved, as well as the people themselves who uh, struggle with these addictions. Uh, And uh, it really hits home uh, for me as a person that has uh, dealt with several family issues uh, with substance abuse, specifically alcohol, um, and have unfortunately been on the receiving end of a lot of uh, fallout because of other people's struggles with um, alcohol addiction, um, and this—it's—it's it's, it's a cover that not only is artistically brilliant, but sends a really uh, strong message to anybody who's aware 
uh, of this problem and doesn't see alcohol as simply, you know, uh, a way to have a little fun uh, and can see that sometimes alcohol can become something more than just a uh, enjoyable drink or beverage um, to help loosen people up a little bit. And that uh, when exploited or used um, in bad context to an uh, excessive extent or in the long term, it can become uh, a very crippling substance, um, I think far underrated for how crippling it can become, uh, particularly for people who have addictive personalities. Uh, and this cover, it really touches on that very strongly. If you don't watch our YouTube channel and you can't see the cover, I strongly suggest you go ahead and take a look at it. Uh, again, you know, we try not to take this too seriously. You know, it is a, an imaginary character, um, but uh, the problems with alcoholism are very well known uh, and very real uh, for the people who experience it, who live it, and for the people around such people. Uh, family members, spouses, uh, boyfriends, girlfriends, uh, friends, uh, you name it. it. It affects a lot of people worldwide and not on a small scale. So uh, once again, shout out to Alexander Lozano for creating not only a great artistic endeavor, but also sending a very uh, interesting message out into the ether there. I uh, think it's work that you should be really proud of and very impressed with Marvel for putting this uh, cover out as the main cover for the issue because it, it really it really is a cool and interesting cover and really does acknowledge that, hey, these heroes aren't perfect, you know, just like none of us are perfect. Uh, there, there are certain character flaws and certain struggles that everybody goes through uh, that everybody has to try to overcome. We don't always succeed, but it is worth the effort to try. So... Great cover, uh, Alexander, and I look forward to uh, seeing what else you bring out in the future. Uh, it's being written by Dan Slott, so I'm probably going to check it out uh, sooner rather than later. Dan Slott has done a lot of work that I, I am very fond of, so uh, be sure to check out future episodes. You know, did the content match the drapes? You'll find out in the future for sure. Next up, our variant cover of the week comes from none other than DC Comics. This one coming from Green Arrow number 49, this variant done by Francis Manipool. Now, this is a cover where you see a kind of uh, classic fantasy Robin Hood-ish uh, Green Arrow hooded in a tall field with tall grass with his uh, bow drawn uh, to full length with the arrow very much in the foreground. Uh, and very cool uses of color, I think, of most of the the covers we give awards to it's usually because of the genuinely great illustration or the very interesting art aesthetic you know what method was used uh for creating the cover we often give that a lot of credit however this one i think the color is what makes this one great it uses a really great blending of green and yellow hues and everything in between uh, to create a really, really cool dynamic aesthetic, a really cool, uh, easily uh, displayable cover that I think looks great and would be uh, a, a wonderful addition to anybody who is a DC fan or a Green Arrow fan, what have you. Um, it just really is a genuinely cool, uh, genuinely uh, interesting 
uh, color scheme, uh, and it has a brilliant underlying sketch to it as well. So uh, definitely nothing uh, underhanded there. It's just an excellent variant cover from from Boda Stern. It's just a a nice representation of what Green Arrow can be uh, artistically. And quite frankly, Green Arrow has been having a pretty nice stretch uh, with their covers and variant covers, uh, I think variants in particular, um, which is great to see. Uh, I've never been the biggest Green Arrow fan, you know, outside of his role as kind of a a conscience of a lot of the Justice League members and uh, as a kind of, you know, somewhat humorous character. I've never been that big in the, the Green Arrow character. Uh, I know a lot of people love the Arrow show. I've, I've been on record saying that I'm not a fan of the, the Arrow show quite as much, uh, particularly because I don't particularly care for Stephen Amell's acting. Um, however, that being said, this cover always great covers like this always elicit me to pick up those books and read those books and catch up on those books. Uh, I think the last green arrow version I read was the new 52 version, which I, I did enjoy. Um, but I do love the classic, you know, Robin hood looking aesthetic with the hood pulled over the kind of, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say medieval attire cause he's, he's obviously got very modern bows and uh, very modern, uh, arrows equipped there, but uh, he is going for that certain aesthetic, and I, I really enjoy it, really appreciate it. Francis Manipool did a wonderful job on this illustration, and the color scheme is outstanding. So, big congratulations one more time to Francis Manipool for his Green Arrow number 49 variant, and once again to Alexander Lozano to Tony Stark Iron Man number 8 for the regular cover of the week. And now for our new friends of the show, this is the part of the show where we discuss a topic of our choosing about the world of comic books. Now, this is usually where I'd say, Emery, what is our topic? But of course, uh, Emery had to get out of here a little early, so I'll try to make this a little short and sweet and be merciful upon you all. Um, I, this is a news item that we discussed a little bit earlier in the show and kind of touched base on a little bit, um, but the confirmation that the Batman will not feature Ben Affleck and will possibly be a kind of separate uh, scheme away from the proper current DCEU, um, has created a big vacuum uh, for the role of the Batman. Uh, Emery and I both made kind of a small list of people we think would match up very well uh, under the cowl, or as specifically Bruce Wayne. Uh, once, once the face is under the cowl, it's usually hard to kind of tell the difference between a lot of actors unless you have a very uh, prominent chin like Ben Affleck does. Um, what really makes the character is how they portray Bruce Wayne, uh, how fit they are, uh, how fit they can look in the suit. I think uh, Shazam proves that you don't necessarily have to be the most fit guy on the planet uh, to portray a good, you know, large superhero uh however we all know that uh christopher nolan's batman uh did not feature the biggest uh strongest guy it just featured a very very uh very well-defined uh christian bale who had clearly worked out but was not uh quite the bodybuilder look-alike that many comics portray and that uh i think ben affleck's batman tried to portray um so, without further ado, I'll get into our lists. Um, 
Let's go ahead and touch a base on Emery's list first. So once again, this is coming from Emery, uh, who could not be here for the end of the show. We do apologize, but uh, we want to make sure we get these episodes out to you. Uh, we have been struggling to get these episodes out every week, but unfortunately, uh, we have a rotating schedule, so it's hard to sync us up with enough time to record a three-hour podcast. So um, first up, the number one choice for Emery is Army Hammer. Now, Army Hammer, probably most well-known for his role uh, on The Lone Ranger. Uh, I know he's done several other roles, but Army Hammer is the kind of quintessential young-ish, um, tall, dark, and handsome uh, figure. Um, I think a lot of people have been kind of pining for Army Hammer, which I do understand. Um, yeah, I I don't know what uh, Emery's specific logic for him was, other than that he is the quintessential tall, dark, handsome, blue-eyed, stereotypical Bruce Wayne, uh, which has been the classic Bruce Wayne and kind of the classic look. Uh, The guy obviously carries a five o'clock shadow very well and uh, could easily become, you know, fit enough for the role. I do agree that he he could be a very... uh, a very competent and very cool Batman. Um, from my perspective, I think he's kind of uh, lacking in the kind of uh, performance department as far as his acting performances and experience. However, I could easily be proven wrong, and very often the new Batman is not somebody who has been consistently at the top of the, you know, pecking order in terms of people in Hollywood. It's usually someone that they can spend a little less money on and kind of cash in on for a decade, you know, if need be. Uh, That seems to be the new way to go, and it obviously worked out very well for the Marvel casting. Uh, I think Robert Downey Jr. is probably the one exception, just like Ben Affleck was probably the one exception here. Uh, But uh, you see how that worked because Ben Affleck only stayed for two movies. Uh, I think Robert Downey Jr. is probably the one exception, maybe Scarlett Johansson. Um, But more often than not, for these superhero films, they go with lesser-known actors um, that they can afford to bring in initially and then kind of keep along for the long haul if uh, need be. So Army Hammer would fit that prototype pretty well. Again, he does have some experience. He is a known quantity. Um, but I'm not sure if he would be the best, but I'd be totally open to that. So good choice by Emery there. Uh, his next choice is Jake Gyllenhaal. Now, this one I'm not sure about. Uh, I don't. I think Jake Gyllenhaal would be a great support character. You know, maybe one of the Robins or something like that. As you know, an older version, obviously. Um, but I don't think Jake Gyllenhaal would be a very good Batman. I don't see Jake Gyllenhaal as a very intimidating individual. I can't see Jake Gyllenhaal having much of a presence as Bruce Wayne. So that one, I'm a lot less tentative on. I mean, he's a very handsome man. Uh, I think he's going to be great uh, in the new Spider-Man movie. But um, I don't think the Prince of Persia is right for this one. Um, good, Great actor. Nothing against the guy. I just don't think he's Bruce Wayne for me. But uh, that is Emery's second choice. Uh, the third choice for M. Emery is uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, uh, very great actor. Um, 
very um, monologue uh, heavy actor in a lot of his roles. Um, however, I don't think he would be the best for a new, younger version of Batman. I can definitely see Jeffrey D. Morgan as like the older grizzled type. I think Jeffrey D. Morgan probably would have been a better option than Ben Affleck if you wanted to do the whole Dark Knight Rises type of tale. Because I don't think Ben Affleck looks old enough, even with the fake grade hair and the dye job and the salt and pepper stuff that DC tried to do. I think Jeffrey D. Morgan would have been a wonderful option. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan has done a lot of great roles, but I think his most well-known at the present time and date is his, uh, Negan character on Walking Dead, which I think he did a great job with. Um, I didn't watch the last couple seasons of Walking Dead, but, um, the, to the point I had seen, I thought he represented the character very well. Um, and I totally see him, uh, but I, I, I did kind of favor him more as like a Thomas Wayne figure in, in any kind of flashpoint story or anything like that. And in fact, he did play Thomas Wayne at one point. So very interesting there. Uh, Jeffrey D. Morgan, great choice, but I think he's, a, he's a bit old for what they're shooting for allegedly for the Batman, where it's going to be kind of a younger Batman and more of a noir, uh, crime solving setting. And then finally he... <laughs> And, well, he's got two more choices here. Number four, he puts en literally anyone but Ben Affleck, which uh, I kind of have to agree with. Uh, I don't dislike Ben Affleck overall. I just dislike Ben Affleck on the big screen. Uh, I don't know how Emery feels about this. I'm only speaking purely for myself. But uh, I find every single one of Ben Affleck's performances to be very dry and underwhelming. Even, like, the one he got, an, uh, you know... A directing Oscar for, I believe, with Argo. Good movie, but his portrayal, in my opinion, was very lackluster and very just kind of one-syllable mute. Like, I, I just, I know, uh, I've heard he, he played uh, the character in Gone Girl very well. I haven't seen that movie, so I can't speak to it. But overall, I have been very uh, underwhelmed by Ben Affleck's um performances as an actor however i think he is a great um a, a great director uh, if he wants to be i think he could be a very uh, outstanding director and probably one of the best directors in hollywood if he pursued that route and i think he is a skilled uh writer as well uh clearly he's done a lot of great work um and he is a comic book aficionado i would much rather see him helping out writing the stories because I think there's a clear lack of writing definition from the groups uh, in the DB, DC WB studios. But uh, I I think he probably wasn't the best option for Batman, uh, enthusiasm aside. And I also don't think uh, Emery felt that he was a very good uh, proprietor of Batman, especially when he was so gung-ho about it in the beginning, and then he seemed to kind of abandon everything on the back end of it. Which, as a person who completely harps on rebooting this DC universe and taking it slowly instead of charging in headfirst and trying to shove everything in the beginning to try to catch up with Marvel, I'm assuming, um, I'm a fan of. You know, I would prefer him to step aside, but... Um, I do prefer him more as a director and or writer than I do as 
actually portraying the characters. And then uh, Emery's final choice was one that I had talked about several times I, on this podcast, I know. Um, but for whatever reason, when I was making my list, I forgot to think of this guy. Uh, this is a really great actor who I think would do a wonderful job, and Emery is very correct in writing him down. John Hamm. Uh, everybody wanted John Hamm to be Batman before Ben Affleck was announced. I was one of those people. I was very much in support of John Hamm becoming the Batman. But unfortunately, as we all know, that's not the way uh, history uh, manifested itself. Um, but John Hamm, I think, would be an outstanding Bruce Wayne. I think he could be the kind of cynical kind of jerk that Batman can be at times. I think he would be great at causing people to dismiss him as kind of this kind of billionaire playboy that doesn't pay attention and then obviously portray a more serious side. Uh, I think you don't have to look any further than his portrayal of Don Draper and Mad Men where he does that very thing, often portrays the super confident, uh, super um, uh, extravagant, wealthy uh, executive in this New York office, in public, and at the business, but then privately, he's he's a man with a lot of secrets. He's a man with a lot of uh, man, mental anguish. A man with a lot of uh, problems and uh, issues that he deals with uh, or doesn't deal with. And I think John Hamm is a is an actor who has proven time and time again that he can portray. Um, both sides of what Batman brings to the table, which is the kind of over-the-top flamboyant uh, billionaire ploy boy that's more or less dismissed and causes people to kind of look in the other direction. And then also the more serious, realistic Bruce Wayne, who is under the cowl, who's obsessive, who's uh, very self-deprecating, um, and who uh, prevents himself from forming real close relationships with a lot of people. Uh, until they can break through his very thick skin, uh, such as like what Dick Grayson often does, or what Selena Kyle often does, uh, Talia Al Ghul has done. So John Hamm, I think, is a great option. Uh, once again, Emery's choices: number one, Army Hammer, Jake Gyllenhaal, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, <laughs> literally anyone but Ben Affleck, uh, and then John Hamm. And of his choices, I would say John Hamm is probably my favorite, followed by Army Hammer. Um, now let's go ahead and get into my personal list. Um, I, th I had a few uh, that I have on here. Unfortunately, again, I didn't think of John Hamm. If I had thought of John Hamm, John Hamm would have been my first choice. But for whatever reason, he, f he didn't come to mind immediately, even though I've been on the show talking about John Hamm in the past. Uh, I think my top choice was Gerard Butler. Um, Gerard Butler has played in a lot of action movies. He's obviously a very fit guy. I think he still can look young enough to be a kind of, you know, late 30s, early 40s Bruce Wayne. Uh, I think he could play the role very well. Uh, he's an established actor. I know Emery raised questions about his Scottish accent that often bleeds through into his roles, but I think if you watch... Uh, uh, a lot of his more recent action roles, um, I think it was Olympus Falls or Fall of Olympus, something like that, uh, where he's protecting the president and whatnot. Uh, I think he did an awesome job performing. 
uh, in those roles, both in an action capacity and as a kind of character that you want to root for and care about. Um, my next choice was Joe Manginella, and um, I understand that the current DCEU has portrayed him as Deathstroke um, in a kind of secret ending to, I think, the end of BVS. It might have been Justice League. It's probably Justice League, actually, now that I think about it. Um, but the Batman, I don't think the Batman is going to be in the current universe. I think the Batman, I think they see all the goodwill they're getting with the previews for the Joker. And I, I think the executives might be feeling that the Joker role is going to be so promising that they'll finally have room to jump into something a little bit more nuanced than the current DCEU. And it's probably a large reason why even though Ben Affleck came on to be the writer, director, and star of the Batman originally, that basically all of that has been thrown away and is no longer the case. So I think Joe Manginello, if they can work this outside of the current DCEU, and I genuinely hope they do, um, I think he would be great for the role. He's obviously extremely fit. He's tall, dark, handsome, everything you'd expect. I mean, he's got a little bit of gray to him. Uh, unfortunately, I think just about every established actor I have on my Batman list is more of an older uh, individual that will probably need uh, a little bit of uh, makeup help or hair dye to kind of make sure they fit the correct aesthetic. However, I think Joe Manganiello does look youthful enough uh, to, again, play that kind of early 40s Batman that I often picture you know I may not I may be the only one but I often picture Batman as kind of a guy in his late 30s early 40s not as a guy in his late 20s or early 30s uh playing the role you know I'm in my late 20s and I certainly don't see myself uh ever playing the role of Batman at my age um and I think Joe Mangianello would be a great option um my next choice on here is Michael Fassbender. Uh, Michael Fassbender is probably the most prolific actor on my list. Um, I mean, there may be some debate on that with my my next few choices, but I think Michael Fassbender has the gravitas to kind of bring a really genuine, uh, intricate side to Batman, much like how. Uh, uh, Christian Bale brought some extra nuance to the Batman role that uh, previous Batman I don't think quite had. Um, now we we give a lot of that credit to Christopher Nolan, of course, but I think um, Michael Fassbender could bring a really interesting blend uh, for this character. And seeing as Michael Fassbender is no longer going to be playing Magneto because the Fox Studios have sold the rights to Disney. Um, I think Michael Fassbender is clearly open uh, and can very easily get in shape enough uh, with the added help of prosthetics to portray a very cool, uh, very interesting Batman, especially if you're going for the more subtle detective noir style Batman that is far more, um, I would say, far more... Uh, cerebral than the Batman we've had with the current DCEU, who is more of a punch and stab and shoot first, explode now, and then uh, think about it all later, or not think about it at all. 
which is kind of disappointing for me as a Batman fan uh, and as a kind of DC fanboy. But again, maybe I'm just not managing my expectations very well. Next on my list, this one wasn't on my original list. However, uh, Emery and I were joking around when we were looking at actors and kind of considering different people. But uh, I ended up kind of considering it as a strong candidate, Sean Bean. Uh, you don't think of it at first, but if you take a look at some pictures, um, if you can picture him with kind of a darker brown slash black hairstyle, um, I think he could bring a lot of gravitas to that role, uh, much like Michael Fassbender. The downside to Sean Bean is that he is quite older, uh, and I don't know if they can make him youthful enough to assume the role. So he's kind of a long shot character. Um, but I do think uh, he could be a potential option if you wanted uh, a, a new form of cerebral um, Batman and he didn't want to go with specifically Michael Fassbender. Um, I will say this about Sean Bean. I think if you went with the kind of, uh, I think, Earth 2 Batman, where Batman is more or less trained more by Alfred, who happens to be an ex-SAS uh, uh, royal paratrooper, or whatever the case may be. Um, I think Sean Bean could be that Alfred. I think he would be excellent at it. Um, the problem with Sean Bean is you would be thinking, okay, when's he going to die? <laughs> so uh, if you were planning on killing Alfred, it might be a spoiler. Uh, and then finally... This one's just like a, a toss the role into the wind. I don't think this actor has any interest in playing a superhero role in the near future. And quite frankly, if he was, I would want it to be the same one he's been playing. But again, another fallout from the Fox uh, studio sale. Uh, Huge Jacked Man, also known as Hugh Jackman. Um, Hugh Jackman, I think, is a great actor. I'm, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, he is starting to get on kind of the older side. So once again, like many of these actors on my list, they're kind of in the late 40s, early 50s for a lot of them. And uh, they're starting to kind of look at, not necessarily physically, but more in the face. Which, let's face it, when you're in movies and, you know, most of the emotion has to come from your face, uh, uh, the age of your face it does matter. Um, but I think Huge Jackman uh, obviously has the physique for the role. And I think he can do an American accent uh, far more consistently than a lot of the people on my list, specifically Gerard Butler and Michael Fassbender. Um, but I think I think Hugh Jackman would be an awesome and excellent uh, actor to portray this role. However, I fear that... Unfortunately, Hugh Jackman isn't interested in doing superhero movies for another decade, and I don't think he would be a long-term investment. You'd probably get him for one, two movies at most, um, and he would be a significantly paid actor, uh, much like um, you would imagine Ben Affleck was. Uh, and I don't know if he would be the best option for the studio going forward. You would probably want somebody who is, um, slightly less known or at least a little less popular at the time and place. You know, Hugh Jackman is in a ton of movies right now. 
uh, doing a lot of musicals and plays and stuff like that as well. Uh, Michael Fassbender, another guy who's very popular at the moment and is doing a lot of roles, is about to, I believe, be in the Dark Phoenix movie, which probably going to be terrible, but uh, he's getting paid for it nonetheless, and uh, his face is out there. I think Joe Mangianello, Gerard Butler, and Sean Bean all have been kind of, if not off the grid, at least to you know taking kind of a break in between movies to a greater extent than the other ones. However, uh, I would say that Gerard Butler is probably my favorite choice to be Batman uh, with a close follow-up by uh, Michael Fassbender and then Joe Mangianello uh, being my favorites there. Um, I just thought this would be a fun bonus thing because while Emery and I were looking through actors, I kept looking at people and thinking, man, they would be perfect for this role or that role or whatever in the Batman universe. And uh, I've said this in the past, but I think Oscar Isaac would be a perfect Nightwing. I know Oscar Isaac's, again, getting probably a little too old to be Dick Grayson Nightwing. However, I think, you know, a little hair dye and he can look just as youthful as ever. I love him in the the Star Wars movies. I think he's one of the more interesting characters in the, especially the first movie. Um, And I think Oscar Isaac can portray a character who happens to be of gypsy descent uh, a lot more readily than a lot of the people that have been thought of to cast as Dick Grayson. Uh, I think... Unfortunately, a lot of the times Dick Grayson is casted uh, as a kind of very narrow, thin-faced individual who is not particularly fit, who's kind of built like me. You know, I'm fit, but I'm also very scrawny and lanky, and um, I don't often picture Nightwing as just the scrawny, lanky type. I also don't picture him as a super big jacked type, and I think Oscar Isaac could be that perfect in-between with the kind of complexion, excuse me, complexion and kind of the uh, more diverse look that is often prevalent among people of gypsy heritage. Um, so I think if you want to portray uh, an individual who is of gypsy descent, uh, I think Oscar Isaac would be a really great option. And I think he also has the acting gravitas and the physical fitness uh, to portray the role very capably. And he would be my favorite choice to be kind of a older, more mature Nightwing uh, to kind of complement an order, older, more mature Batman, which is pretty much all of my choices. Uh, and then I've also considered, now this one, there is a caveat, I, he's not my favorite choice by any means, but I think Zac Efron, the modern Zac Efron, uh, if he wanted to stray away from the more comedic roles he's been prone to doing, I think he could be a very capable uh, Nightwing and kind of the younger uh, skewed Nightwing, you know, early to mid-20s. I think he still has that kind of youthful look to him, um, and he's obviously extremely fit and would probably do very well. Uh, if you've seen the Baywatch movie, he does a lot of uh, kind of uh, best ninja type of workouts on that beach and when in his challenge with The Rock where he's doing the ladder climbs like Stephen Amell does. He's doing the little pegs in the wall and clearly has plenty of physical body control and I think could do a lot of the stunts. Uh, I'm sure there'd be you know, stuntmen doing a lot of the, the parts, but I think he could bring that kind of acrobatic performance, uh, that fluid performance that is needed to portray Nightwing in combat and in his training sessions with Batman. 
and then finally, uh, Dacker Montgomery came up, who is the uh, character that plays the the kind of bully in the second season of uh, Stranger Things, the older teenage bully. Uh, I think he would be great playing Jason Todd, uh, specifically a reanimated, you know, post murder Jason Todd uh, after he's been with the, uh, you know, uh, Al Ghouls uh, in training, lying in wait, trying to get his revenge. And I think it would be a great role uh, to have Dacre Montgomery, Oscar Isaac, and Batman all kind of working together, you know, specifically Gerard Butler, Michael Fassbender, Joe Manganiello, working through their kind of um, issues from past scars, bringing to light a lot of the deeper uh, character moments from the comics that I think are often squandered in the movies. I think uh, even with the Nolan trilogy, Bruce Wayne is not very well fleshed out in a lot of them. I, the the closest they come is the Dark Knight, where he has to choose between doing the right thing and doing the thing he wants to do because his love interest may or may not love him back. Um, but I think if you wanted to do a more serious, more respectable, more cerebral Batman, introduce other characters to the canon, such as Nightwing, such as Jason Todd uh, as Red Hood or however you want to portray him, um, I think this would be a great opportunity to kind of expand the universe without forcing a lot of extra storylines in like they did with justice league like they did with batman versus superman especially like they recently kind of did with uh, aquaman where they just they sent every storyline in they could and now they have nowhere to go uh and the movies were way too long the movies were not very coherent uh, from beginning to end had re- ridiculous uh, plot points that were just meant to insert the new story, not particularly flesh out the characters or create a more enjoyable experience for the audience. Um, but I think if you got Dacker Montgomery as Jason Todd, preferably Oscar Isaac or Zac Efron for Nightwing, and then match them up with a Joe Manganiello or a Gerard Butler or Michael Fassbender as a Batman, I think you could have a really outstanding cast. Even you know maybe Sean Bean as Alfred. I think you could have a really, really outstanding cast, a a movie that's more about the family dynamics, about the the trust between these characters, about the scars that each of these characters has to bear throughout their life. I think it would be awesome if they had some kind of adaptation of The Court of Owls, uh, where they play on Nightwing's connection to them, uh, where they play on um, the Wayne family's influence on them, where they play on... Uh, Jason Todd and the, you know, uh, Al Ghul connection or possibly a talent connection. I think there's a lot of, a lot of interesting options that they have with those characters. And I think these actors, while they may not be the final choices, I think they just with their presence and with their past performances, inspire enough, um, ideas with their presence that you can easily work off of them. Um, I think that wraps it up pretty well. If you got more suggestions for us, please feel free to uh, send those to us. Remember, you can always contact us on Twitter at htbvids. You can talk to us on Facebook at forward slash hit the books. Contact us via email at hit the books vids vids at gmail.com. 
Um, and you can comment on our YouTube channel. Um, feel free to send us some input. Uh, you can talk to us on Patreon, all that stuff. Um, we do appreciate uh, all the input you guys give us, and it's, it really helps us to uh, kind of flesh out the show and bring you a better product in the end, I think. Um, who do you guys think would be a very capable Batman? Um, like I said, go ahead and give us a shout, and we'll talk about some of your uh, answers in the next episode, if time permits. So, with that... Well, folks, I think that wraps up another mediocre edition of Hit the Books podcast. Mediocre. Like my MRE impression. It's pretty good, right? Thank you all for sticking with us. If you like what you hear, be sure to hit like and subscribe and follow us on your podcast services of choice and social networks. Remember, we're on Twitter at HTBVids. We're on Facebook at forward slash Hit the Books. And our website is htbvids.com. You can find any contact info on the website. You can also find links to all of these things, all the lists, all the previous covers of the week. And you can always reach out to us via the website there. I've been your host, Chris Holcomb. My co-host is Emery Saunders. I want to thank you for watching. We will see you next week. Wow.